Because you make me think a lot about all of the things that are going on in, you know, in unsafe spaces anymore. So sexuality, health and wellness is huge for both of us. And you happen to be in a position that is, um, you know, pretty awesome for the community of Columbus, Ohio, and also internationally. So let's talk about you. For people who haven't heard you on the show before, introduce yourself, talk about what it is that you do. Sure. My name is Christopher Hetzer, and um, going on 13, 14 years in nursing, kind of lost track of how many years. <laughs> Been anywhere from the neuro ICU nursing leadership, and due to what I feel the universe put into my life. I do know two and a half years of injecting meth, which gave me my HIV diagnosis. And through that chapter, it was really dark. Um, I have a new passion in nursing that has uh, really projectiled forward into the sexual health, public health uh, sector to where the past five years, I've been able to be in various roles with all age groups uh, when it comes to sexual health. And... I started diving into TikTok and creating some little quick uh, videos to just kind of break stigma and fear and just put a little bit of education out there. And yeah, been going down that rabbit hole for a while now. It's definitely a rabbit hole, isn't it? <laughs> so Christopher, whenever you started this new journey, doing things on social media, being present, What's the feedback that you're getting from people? Is it a positive one or have you found it the opposite? I will say for the most part, it's been very positive. I've, um, I have people from Romania to some people in the States to Polynesia, Malaysia, other places in Africa that have reached out just saying thank you to asking for advice. And even though like I am not a prescribing nurse, I do like, have some knowledge that I can share, but then also really encourage people to really go in and talk to their healthcare providers. I do understand personally how awkward it can be, uh, uncomfortable when you're coming, talking about something dripping from your penis or your vagina or your booty hole. And I think that's where we as healthcare providers could be better and kind of dropping that judgment, but really encouraging people to really open up and talking to their providers so that way they can stay safe as possible. And, and that's such an important piece. I've definitely encountered people that I didn't think were going to open up to me in the initial exam process. When you walk in a room, you can you feel it. People are anxious and scared. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm not a formidable big male doctor by any means, but I'm not a tiny girl either. <laughs> so for some people opening up to someone that they can relate to or relate with, is a huge big thing but as we all know healthcare is in a crisis as it has been for years i mean but after the pandemic even more so because people have figured it out like why am i doing this for other people what's my benefit mm -hmm. money is one thing but at the end of the day when you lose your own mental health and wellness due to your your need to help others 
sometimes <laughs> that can be like it's a double-edged sword half the time i believe that i sit in this little cylinder of silence <laughs> only for a moment let me just say i don't sit in silence often <laughs> Anyway, I'm sitting in this little cylinder of silence and all of these people are banging on the outer walls, wanting information, begging for it. The minute that you pop out to give it, sometimes people aren't so receptive. They don't necessarily appreciate your opinion or the way that you go about it. So finding a provider who ticks all your boxes, are they somebody that's similar to me? Are they somebody who has the same belief system that I do? Are they somebody who's not judgmental? Or I don't know if you know this or not, there's a lot of people out there that want judgmental people because they feel like they don't have the capability to do it on their own. So they need somebody to kind of prod them and poke them and be like, hey, this is what you're supposed to be doing. So do it. But I feel like and we talk about this often, you and I, about how social media is affecting how people search out healthcare providers, mm -hmm. how we search out information, period. And some of the statistics that we were looking at a little bit earlier. And this, again, guys out there, this is a study from a Saudi Arabian publication, and it's on the National Institute of Health website. But it says that over 80% of people are searching out health information via the internet, which makes sense. Your phone is in your hand basically the entire day, yeah, <laughs> most yeah. people, or in your pocket or close enough that, you know, it's that whole anxiety of, I don't see my phone. Where is it? It's in my pocket. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> and now it's even on your uh, wrist now. So you get right, right. feedback. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> my husband told me that it would be the best thing ever. And I swear to God, it's not. It's just <laughs> another reminder that I have so many things that I need to get done and uh, and I don't want to do them, but <laughs> it's all good. So with this need for people coming, you know, in, in search of information, the internet is so vast and there's so many ways that information can be presented. And so also misinterpreted as well. <laughs> and I think we learned that in a really hard lesson during the pandemic, when you have opposing sides of political factions that might take interest in some healthcare issues. Let's talk about it. <laughs> like birth control, sexual activities, the way that people eat, breathe, and sleep sometimes is something that our government is interested in and mm -hmm. kind of wants to, I swear, I want to believe in my heart that everybody has our best interests in their mind, but we all know, and we're realistic in the fact that money drives everything. And there are some super amazing grassroots people out there that are really trying hard to put out their content as well. But that doesn't necessarily fly when you don't have the money to back it up. Right. Right. And when you're already in a healthcare provider situation like I am, I don't try to extort money from people for information unless it's for my job. My social media online presence is free for everyone. I don't charge people for that kind of information. The Tantra stuff, definitely. <laughs> but that's it. It's, you're playing to your own beliefs and your own thoughts of how this information should be disseminated. And what is it worth to you and the other people that you're trying to give it to? So tell me, what did you find even in your own social media postings? Which I know, like, 
eventually when TikTok people get really famous, you get compensated for your wonderful information. Right now, what are you seeing in terms of, are you seeing a lot of engagement with people with your information on HIV, PrEP, PEP, all of those kinds of things? You seeing a lot of engagement with that? I have received like uh, private messages, like ranging from thank you for reminding me or just thank you for speaking up because there still is a very significant taboo when it comes to sex education and talking about sex, even though we're all doing it. With PrEP, like the WHO reported out like in 2021 that 1.6 million people across the world are taking PrEP. And here in the United States, only 30% of people who benefit from PrEP are taking it. So that's like a huge 70% window that people aren't taking advantage of it because, in my opinion, is that there's still a stigma or the lack of education, like that won't affect me. I have kids coming into my clinic that will say, I don't know what HIV is. I've never heard of HIV. And some have even said they thought chlamydia was going to kill them. And I'm like... No, (laughs) to all of that. (laughs) And so that's where I'm hoping that as different trending audio clips happen, I spin it to make it into a sexual health moment. Or um, I'm currently creating a Pokemon version where I have little STI stuffed animals and I'm doing a Pokemon spinoff. And just to kind of find different avenues to reach different people and... Yes, there have been some negative where old school thinking like AIDS is the punishment for the gays and you're going to hell and all that stuff. And a lot of black women and trans humans do get stigmatized even when they do take initiative to better their own health. And um, and it's just having that open dialogue has opened my eyes to because I'm a cis white male like I very privileged. My mom was a nurse and my dad's a firefighter. Like I grew up knowing how sex happened probably before I knew (laughs) just because of how um, my family's very science oriented. And, uh, but I still had my blinders because we only knew what we knew. And now TikTok has been a learning opportunity for me because I've been able to see the world and how they're interpreting uh, videos and information and just kind of redirecting people and encouraging people. Like it's okay to talk about sex and it's okay to take ownership of your own sex health because no one's going to do it for you. Someone will probably control it for you, (laughs) but I'm in no position to let anything else control me. Having known that with a chemical, with my own personal life, I guess I get triggered uh, the moment I feel like I'm being controlled. <laughs> I Listen, I get that. Absolutely. That's interesting. So let's circle back. Yeah. Let's start this discussion about what the heck is HIV? What the heck is PrEP? What are we even talking about? Yes. So you as the educator, and I'm going to tell you, you know, like I've been in medicine for a long time. I've been in nursing and medicine providing for the last eight years as a nurse practitioner. And in the realms of urgent care, which by the way, in case you all didn't know, tons of people come to the urgent care for STD or sorry, see, that's my, that's me getting older. (laughs) By the way, if you're in medicine or nursing for long enough, they change the names of shit and it's ridiculous. (laughs) So, but with STIs, people come in to the urgent cares. 
also with addiction medicine. We have at-risk behaviors that cause people to ask for information. I, as a provider, have not, I've never prescribed PrEP or PEP. They just haven't been things that were available when I was doing addiction med. Now I'm back in addiction med, so I'm really excited to see how I can help improve that availability in my clinic. That's something we're talking about, just started. But anyway, you are the guy that I come to about for questions uh, because you are in the know because this has affected your entire life, right? This has been something that you've had to deal with and you're so successful now and you're getting more successful as we go along. And I think it's brilliant and I love you for that. But again, back to it. What the heck is HIV? What the heck is PrEP and PEP? Tell me. So the human immunodeficiency virus really became, let's for lack of better words, popular in the 1980s and 1990s. But taking that back, HIV has been around a lot longer than that. We're originated in Africa and where we had the simian immunodeficiency virus. And uh, they, the most educated origin of how it transmitted to humans is like the hunters that were butchering the monkey meat had wounds on themselves in the blood mixed that way. Then as it spread throughout Africa, eventually got to the United States and predicting around 1970s, uh, give or take a few years, to where then it just slowly started uh, picking up momentum. There are several strands of HIV. The most popular one is the strand B that is primarily here in the United States, and that is what has created the epidemic that we know today. Millions of people have been infected and or have died from it. Thankfully, due to scientific medical advancements, we do have fantastic medications that not only make someone undetectable, uh, which means if you are undetectable as a person with HIV, you cannot transmit it to anyone. There's a 0% chance, and that is fascinating. But we also have medications that can prevent one from having the virus transmitted to them. I like to call this uh, the birth control of HIV, and PrEP is the pre-exposure prophylactic medication uh, for HIV that those who are at higher risk for getting HIV can take this once a day and it protects them from getting HIV. There is also another medication called PEP, which is post-exposure prophylaxis. And so within 72 hours after someone may have been exposed to HIV, so whether that be a needle stick, a sexual assault, or, hey, you had a one-night stand and you guys didn't have that discussion about having safe sex, what's the sex health like, and you're going, oh, shit, just go to your urgent care, ER, or local STI clinic, and they can get you hooked up with PEP. And I like to call that the morning after pill for HIV because... It makes yeah. sense. <laughs> um, and then you'll take that for about 28 days and then just do some follow-up testing, make sure that it worked if you were exposed and it keeps you negative. So, See, that is just... When I was growing up, obviously, in the heat of the HIV um, issue going on, in the United States, you know, because where we come from in Ohio, it was always the the rhetoric is, uh, it's just gay guys dying. It doesn't matter. Right. And I can remember, I think that that is probably one of the reasons why, or one of the mitigating factors in who I am today, because I kept thinking, 
why are all these adults, why are all these people saying that this is a good thing, that people who are sick or ill or have a disease process, why, why is it okay for them to, to hurt or to die? Why aren't we trying to help these people? Well, it's so funny to think back about that. It almost makes me want, makes me want to cry thinking about how much time people lose in hate thought, right? And hate speech. When there's definitely evidence out there that these are not just issues that happen to the gay lesbian community, transgender, what have you, the the drug addicted community, they are more frequently happening because I, in my heart, I believe it's because the outreach is not there. If people are knowledgeable, then they can begin to make plans to make things better. But if you don't know, you don't know. And so with you coming out and doing these little short videos and that sort of thing, and even your education of me on prep and pep, you don't even know the monster you've created, <laughs> sir. <laughs> I'm just so passionate about the fact that underserviced, underprivileged people are always the ones who get the short end of the deal. It's not like, again, you and I are both from privileged white families that have allowed us education, that have allowed us to be who we are in an easier way. Not that we haven't had our own struggles, by the way. I mean, definitely you've had some. I've had my own. Uh-huh. But we're not here for that today. We're here to talk about what prep and pep can do for you as a sexually active adult. What it can do is it can help. It's an antiretroviral. These medications are something that we're like, I think everybody has become an immunologist over the last three years, you know, because. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because viruses, people didn't realize that viruses can be deadly. Hey, by the way, the cold virus can kill you. Hey, by the way, mm -hmm. the cold virus can give you awful, terrible neurological issues. Oh, by the way, people don't know this. And the religious, terrible side of my youth, I won't say it's terrible. I won't say that. Being in a religious family growing up does make you very conscientious of others, but also super judgmental. So I'm not here to deconstruct Christianity. I have friends who do that. Um, <laughs> I'm not here to do that. I am in love with humans who want to learn. And so I want to give this information and have awesome people like you on here, Christopher, to help with that. So when you're taking daily prep, if you are a person who knows you engage in sexual activity, with people that are not necessarily in monogamous relationships. And by the way, it's not a bad thing to not be in monogamous relationships out yeah. there. There are a lot of people in polyamorous relationships or whatever, you, like we label things so frequently that it's kind of exhausting to think of all the terms, but there are so many definitions of a relationship. And if you are in a relationship with somebody that, you know, that shares the same thoughts, beliefs, and ideals that you do. And it's okay for you to have relations with other people outside of that main relationship, then that's your business. So why not be safer with them? Yes. Why not understand that something like prep can help you maintain your own pleasure? 
right? We all want to have sex. By the way, sex is a huge and important part of daily life for people. Sex can be like Valium. Sex can be like an upper. It could be elating. It can be existential. And trying to tell people just because you're, you know, addicted to, to drugs or you have health issues, you shouldn't be having sex anymore. Now, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but I've definitely heard providers say that before. Just because we get an illness or a virus or a broken finger doesn't mean that we don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> Even if we're doing it with ourselves, other thumb, yeah. whatever you got to use, you know, like these are important things to remember that being open and honest with yourself and your feelings is important and prep can help. What are some of the side effects of prep? So initially when people do take PrEP and PEP, they might have some GI disturbances, whether that be nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. Most of the time that does go away uh, within one week, give or take a few days, with it progressively getting better as your body gets used to it. There are three main different medications of uh, PrEP. You have Descovy, Truvada, and Apertude. Uh, Descovy and Truvada are your tablets that you can take orally once a day. Uh, with Descovy, uh, you will have your provider will do some blood work uh, on a regular basis uh, to make sure that your bone density stays in healthy range. And Truvada is also another once a day tablet and that will need monitoring with blood work and the provider is going to be watching out for kidney function. In my time, I have not seen someone not be able to take PrEP consistently because their blood work has never been out of whack. I know there are going to be some random outliers out there where, yes, a different medication regimen is going to have to be recommended, um, but I personally have not seen it in my own experience. With Apertude, it is the new injection prep medication. Injectable, right. Yeah, <laughs> I think I saw that this morning. To make sure you don't have an allergy, you will start with a loading dose orally uh, for a little bit to make sure you're going to be okay. You'll have your first injection. A month later, you'll do your second injection, and then it becomes every other month. And for those who don't like swallowing pills, like there is another avenue for that, and it is a shot that goes into uh, the side of your butt cheeks. Love the butt cheek shot. <laughs> For those who don't like needles, it is kind of a deterrent, and that means you also have to go into the doctor's office at the minimum every other month once you get started, and that's a commitment, and people who work two, three jobs, because that's a whole nother route of conversation, it's not that easy to get into a doctor's office to do that shot, but if it works for you, great. It is another way. So there are three mainstream medications that a person can use for PrEP to protect themselves and their sexual health. Awesome. It's so nice to hear. I can remember whenever the medications first came out for HIV, first off, astronomically expensive, right? As all the medicines usually are, not covered by any insurances or Medicaid. So accessibility for people was nil, you know, close to nothing. And there were so many different types of cocktails of medications that you would have to, you know, you take four or five of these, a couple of these, you know, there was a lot of medications that you had to take. 
it's amazing to me now, which I was looking just because I'm curious on Medicaid does cover PEP and PrEP actually, and most major insurances. Now the cost of these medications, astronomical, just like everything else. When they do the blood work before the PrEP or PEP, they're checking you for HIV. Why is that? Just to make sure that you don't have HIV so that way the you can get your genotyping and to make sure that you are getting the exact medication for the strand that you have. So like I said earlier, there are A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K type strands, and that's just uh, with one group of HIV. It's important because even someone with HIV who's undetectable can get another strand if that person is not taking their medications appropriately. So uh, which opens a whole nother can of worms for that super infection. <laughs> well, just to keep it on the list, the easy side of pep and prep today, <laughs> the easier side of pep and prep. That's right. Well, my thought is always as a prescribing person is how can I get these medications? Where do I send these people? Re- do regular pharmacies even carry these medications because of my rural health knowledge. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of places that don't even prescribe medications based on the beliefs of the people who own the practices or the buildings or whatever. Like just for example, in my history of prescribing for recovery, addiction recovery is daggone. Only two pharmacies in the whole town and neither one of them want to provide this service because they don't want those types of people hanging around their building. Or God really didn't want them to be able to give medications to people like that. Now, those two things in my mind, those light me up like a Christmas tree. Because as healthcare providers, we can have our own ideals, our own thoughts, that sort of thing. But when it comes to the health of the public, Mm -hmm. our best interests are in the public. If we don't help them, the whole community starts to decay and rot. And it's, it's a terrible thing. Well, where God might close a door somewhere, another door gets opened. A lot of, I can't speak to a lot of the rural clinics, even though there's been a lot of educational push on a state and national level. In a more rural uh, setting, there are clinics that geared towards sexual health, that um, if traveling is an issue, if privacy and confidentiality is an issue, you can get set up for telehealth visits with the provider. And then they will send orders to a close-by lab core or a laboratory to get your blood drawn. And then they will, they can even mail you in a confidential package your PrEP medication so you can stay safe. So there are good advancements in keeping people safe, confidential, private, so we're not outing anyone and then potentially putting them into an unsafe environment. I wish there could be that strong of a push for our adolescent kids because kids are having sex um, and those queer identifying kids who don't want to be out to their parents and family need to have a way to get the PrEP medication to keep them safe because they do get diagnosed with HIV. Now they're coming out um, then they're coming out with a lifetime diagnosis and that's a lot for 15 16, 17-year-old to come out all at once with a potentially abusive family. Agreed. I think that 
you know, in the small rural area I came from, there's absolutely nothing to do but have sex and drink and smoke cigarettes. You know what I mean? Like there's like, that's, that's the thing. And I think back about risky behaviors that I've had in my lifetime. And my kids can attest to the fact that I am a harpy about, (laughs) I harp constantly about safe sex practices. I don't care if my kids fall in love every other day, as long as they're safe about it. Now, PEP and PrEP can't help with other STIs, correct? Correct. It is strictly for HIV and preventing that. And just because people think I take one pill, I'm immediately fixed. If you're having anal receptive sex, you need to be taking PrEP for at least seven days starting uh, your sexual activity to have built up that protection. And then you need to continue taking it afterwards. Uh, so it's not just, I took one pill and I'm covered type of an immunity. You know, it's, it's a commitment and it is something that you do have to take consistently. There is discussions uh, where we can talk about doxyprep where providers can provide an antibiotic if someone knows they're about to have a more risky sexual encounter some providers have been following a newer concept of giving a regimen of an antibiotic to keep people covered from syphilis, chlamydia, and gonorrhea. So if you are taking PrEP, is it smart to use condoms if you're a male-bodied person? I, as a healthcare provider, will always recommend condom use. PrEP is going to protect you from HIV, but is not going to protect you from any other STI, whether it be herpes, HPV, gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis. A condom is very beneficial and pretty high percentages at keeping one protected from those STIs. Condom usage and how people put on the condom and human error Create some extra challenges, but statistically, if it's used appropriately, it has high 90% success rate. I like it. I like it. And the more informed people are, the better they're going to be. And this whole thought that if we ignore it, it'll go away doesn't happen. Kids are having sex. Adults are having sex, in case you didn't know that. And I'm sure I've said it on here before. Nursing homes have higher rates of STDs than anywhere. So, yeah. Well, congenital syphilis has been on the rise nationally and globally, but I think it has had a 302% increase of babies born with syphilis because we aren't testing and people are like, we got to like really step. Right. And it's been a few years ago in the walk-in clinic, I saw a patient who he thought he had like a blister. Yeah. Right. A blister. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, initially nobody, well, I mean, nobody in the group of medical providers that I ran around with at the time was thinking that this small blister could be anything more than maybe herpes simplex, right? Like, okay. Antivirals help with that as well. You can still lead a healthy, active life. You can still have sexual partners. You just have to inform people. There are things you have to do, but what happens? Just keeps spreading. It just keeps (laughs) spreading. But guess what? This wasn't a blister from herpes. And I don't know if you know this about men too. They will do anything they can to not have to come in 
And if and <laughs> I'm telling you, unless their stuff is falling off or there's something really weird or smelly dripping out of it, they're not coming in. They'll try to treat it with this gentleman had put toothpaste on it. He put Ben Gay on it. He put anything like mouthwash, anything that was methyl- mentholated. <laughs> I can't say that were mentholated. And that's what he was doing. So I couldn't tell necessarily just by visualizing because after people add topical things on over and over again, it becomes something different looking. Finally, he was tested by a primary care provider and was found to have syphilis. What? <laughs> and what? if untreated, it will get to the brain and spine. Like, and then you're up shit creek without a popsicle stick. <laughs> correct. Correct. And and you would think in rural areas, you, like you're going to see syphilis, chlamydia, gonorrhea, 100% all the time. Like not a, not a, not a thing, not even a second thought. You got it. Your cousin got it. His girlfriend's cousin got it. Y'all got it together. It's okay. We'll treat it. Let's just treat it. You can't be judgmental about it. People want to have sex. People want to feel good. People want to do drugs because they want to feel good. People do drugs to feel good while having sex. People do drugs to socially lubricate themselves when they feel like they can't talk or speak in public situations. We can't stop that from happening. We could try it. Look at, we're, we're doing such a good job with gun control and drug control and all of the crime control that we're doing. So maybe harm reduction is the place that we start Absolutely. with, right? We start with, <laughs> we start with harm reduction because you can tell people the right thing to do as much as you want to. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. And people mess up. None of us are flawless. I mean, your beauty, flawless. Just saying, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, I embarrass you every time. But my biggest thought about all of this, harm reduction. I started this new position at a, a new addiction recovery place. And the office manager comes out and I'm blown away by the morning pep talk, you know, that she gave the entire staff. She started talking about harm reduction and it's really made me think about how my thoughts were back when I was an ER nurse. And every time the frequent flyer drug addict, yucky, like that's exactly, that was it. Drug addict, gross. Ew, you're so disgusting. Why are you in my ER? We have, this is for sick people. Not knowing that these people are also sick. Mm -hmm. You just can't see it. Our brains can be sick too. Our lives can be made worse by the activities that happen around us. Not all of us have the capabilities just like the white privilege or the resource. That's what I was getting at. Like the privilege that some of us have that we don't sit and think, man, I really am sad that I'm sad that these people don't have the accessibility or the, the capabilities that I have. So how can we do this? How can we make it better? How can you live your life on a day-to-day basis? Well, start thinking in the shoes of the person that you're talking to. Not everybody woke up this morning, had a nice cup of coffee, read the newspaper, and then toddled off to work in their Armani suit. doesn't work like that for everybody. Some people are fighting from the moment they wake up. And whether it is a fight for real in the physical world or a fight in your mental world, it's a fight. Your body perceives it and it seeks shelter from it. And whether you find that shelter in your church, your family, your drugs, your drug family, (laughs) what do you do? People are just looking for solace. They're looking for comfort. They're looking for safety. If we do not provide that for them, who is going to do that? 
And yes, it sounds liberally amazing and awesome and so idealistic to say, let's do everything for everybody. You can't do everything for everybody, but you can certainly do things in your day that improve other people's lives while you're improving your own. I think on a national level, we can level the playing field and open more clinics, get things that have off hours. Like there are options of how we can get to people and give them the resources to, once we build that trusting relationship through harm reduction, we've given them that empowerment to like, can say I need help or I need tested and they get into the clinic to hopefully start another chapter in their life. And yeah, they might stumble, but it might be a smaller stumble than what it will be three years down the road because there was already this pre-work happening. And preventative care, holistic care, harm reduction, all in my perfect little bubble of what I love. (laughs) Right. But having perfect little bubbles, they get popped so easily because of people and their negativity. (laughs) So what I, I got on a soapbox a minute ago and um, I got really passionate. So (laughs) I'm going to take it down a notch. If you are a healthcare provider listening to this show, please be very conscientious about how you approach your own beliefs as well as those of others. We get in this rhetoric of same job, same, it's the same thing every day over and over again, same complaints. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. But for every person that you touch, maybe you made a difference in their life. So keep doing the best that you can. And it's not easy. I mean, healthcare, it's not like healthcare providers aren't addicts too, you know, we all, yeah, right, right, right. Some of us are recovering from some things and some of us are just hanging out, still chilling. (laughs) But the thing is, is we have to have safe space for people who are relying on us as providers. Now, if you are a person who has HIV or has issues with drug, alcohol abuse, Christopher, do you have any information that would be helpful that you could give somebody like a website or information about your stuff? Here in Ohio, I know the website has not been in current maintenance, uh, which is a shame because a lot of leadership and organizations have gone through a lot since COVID and there's been a lot of changes which is why I've always gone towards the CDC with anything and everything, because there are lists. So whatever state you're in, you will be able to hone in and get to your state department of health. Uh, There's even whatever city you live in will have a public health facility. So I would recommend people going to those government-based websites because they're consistent and they're going to have more maintenance with them. But there are communities out there and and some communities uh, wax and wane ebb and flow with the numbers of who's participating uh, which is also why i have started putting myself out there on social media platforms particularly uh, TikTok and stuff so that way i can start creating a community for those who might not have that consistent family or friend resource or might not know how to navigate a government website because some of them can be tricky, but a lot of people learn how to scroll pretty quickly through uh, your social media platforms. So 
I would say on a personal selfish note, come see me on TikTok, but on a professional, more serious, like take advantage of uh, CDC website uh, and your state and local public health departments. Awesome. I think that the knowledge is out there. Finding credible sources yes. is another thing. And again, like you were saying too, holistic approaches. Some people don't necessarily want to take medications or drugs or any other thing. And in those instances, I often, I have to have the discussion with people. Okay. This is what's going to happen. If you, this is what I know is proven through medical journaling. Chinese medicine works. It's worked for thousands of years for people. Is it studied as well as it should be? I mean, more so now. So if there are other natural things that people out there are saying, I suggest that you check them out before you start any kind of medicine regimen. Um, some people are credible and some people not. And remember, most medications are made from plants. Some are not. Some are synthetic and they don't act the same way, even though we might like them to. So just to throw that out there, if you are doing holistic or functional medicine treatments for these disease processes, please keep talking to your providers, make sure that you're getting the appropriate information and do research for yourself. Because the bottom line is, is we want to see healthy, lovey people everywhere, not just, you know, not just at home. We want to go out and see people and, and have fun. And, and we all are just in, you know, we're, we're back at the bottom of the barrel after this pandemic and, and trying to rebuild our nation is, is tough, I think. But I never knew that I was such a liberal. <laughs> I mean, I suspected it, but, you know, I think I might like, I, I just am amazed by the amazing stuff that I see in some groups, some medical practices versus what I'm seeing in others that is more closed-minded and um, more punitive. Maybe that's a word. Um, I think that's like a very old school way of medicine. It was like the doctor right. knew best. Everyone followed the doctor. And in my nursing leadership coursework and how I have approached nursing and leadership, like people want to be part of a team. Um, I try to switch my words from family to team because team just seems more collaborative and especially COVID and families. Anyways, right. I'm, I'm digress. Going back to my <laughs> um, that people in healthcare and patients want to feel like they're part of a team. Like everyone's collaborating and putting the able to put their two cents in to find the best solution for the situation and whether that be your approach towards your patient or approach on how you do a process improvement project like that is where I feel that younger generations are going like I have my value and my strengths and you have yours what can we do together yeah exactly I love that so Christopher, as always, it's a pleasure. Where can everybody find you? You can find me on TikTok at Chris underscore sexual health underscore nurse, or you can find me on Instagram at Christopher Hetzer. Yes. And remember, 
You can always find me, Polly and Amazing, at buriedpleasures.com, Buried Pleasures on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and X. Oh, 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 oh